The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. This is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds not the back on ESPN 106.7. I'm Jacob Goins. Alongside me, as always, is Carter Bird. And it's Thursday. We are joined by Lindsey Crosby in the studio once again for our uh, Baseball Power Hour. We're talking Braves, talking College World Series talking Plainsman Park upgrades should be a fantastic hour Lindsay what's up man uh not much I'm I'm excited right now we are in the bottom of the seventh for the Braves and Bryce Elder has a three hitter going knock on wood there you go uh yeah he's he's is that something that you have to like knock on wood and like not jinx though that's that's what I was (laughs) I knocked on wood to not jinx it to, to to try to listen two of the three hits are the number nine hitter which is just wild Brandon Marsh who observation okay if you if you're not familiar Phillies outfielder Brandon Marsh center fielder has hair down halfway down his shoulders and a giant beard and I have never seen him with his hair dry it's always wet like he's been there's baseball players that do that no hang on hang on I have never seen him with his hair dry except last night when they were showing footage from in the park pre-game before the game got rained out He's standing outside of the dugout in the rain and his hair is dry. And what? I don't I don't understand how this happens. <laughs> what? This is it, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, that's why we bring you on this program is to give us the Pay the, attention to the fine details that's like what that. what I'm saying. Ain't nobody else got inside like that. Nobody else is going to come out with that's that amazing. to start off the show. And so, well, hope you're all doing well. We're off to a great start already <laughs> here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Talking baseball all in hour number one. We're going to talk about the Braves as they are playing the Phillies right now. Uh, we'll get you caught up what's been going on in Atlanta before they play uh, maybe the hottest team in baseball, the Cincinnati Reds coming up in the next series. Uh, We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the College World Series because we have a barn burner game tonight before the championship series coming up. We'll talk about that. And of course, the Plainsman Park upgrades. Want to get Lindsey Crosby's thoughts on that. He is with uh, Auburn Daily, Bravestoday.com and Locked On MLB Prospects. So be sure to go and check out all of his wonderful stuff. Phone lines are open as well. If you want to call in and talk to us, ask us a question, talk with Lindsay, ask him a question about baseball, whatever's on your mind, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. That number again, 334-321-1390. Lindsay, with the Braves, seems like they've got it going again. They're tied right now with the Phillies in this game. But looking back before we start looking ahead, looking back at what the Braves have done in the last couple of series, they continue to be one of the best teams in baseball it's all down to the offense the offense has been absolutely ridiculous for Atlanta I've just seen it it feels like they've gotten contributions from everybody in the lineup and it's not been all season you've been able to say that but Michael Harris just won uh, a player of the week 
for last week. I mean, he had a game where he went five for five. It's Eddie Rosario has been nuclear ever since he had to play that series in Arizona where he apparently just, we found out that he hates snakes. Um, any, any team in the National League West, he's destroyed. He destroyed Colorado when mm-hmm. they were in Atlanta. And so the Braves are finally kind of getting contributions from everybody. And so obviously the first thing that happens is Sean Murphy gets hurt. And uh, it looks like he's going to avoid a stint on the IL. He was doing some, some pregame work, yes, uh, not yesterday, while Sunday played, so that was Tuesday. He did some again today. Uh, all all signs point to he should be fine and good to go by Friday, if not Saturday, uh, to to play against Cincinnati. But Atlanta's got everything ticking. And I just wrote a piece on Braves today yesterday about Ronald Acuna Jr. and how he's been mm-hmm. able to... How he's really good at baseball? He's not only really good at baseball, but he's made a significant improvement this year on his strikeout rate. Like he's he's hitting the ball harder than ever. He's but he's more selective at the plate and with two strikes his batting average is much higher than it's ever been. And so uh, like it's not luck, it's just legitimate improvement from him and to be at the point in his career where he's able to go and like he's batting 242 with two strikes, which is absurd to me that's yeah. insane that's that's ridiculous and his previous like last year he batted 161 in that same scenario he's literally getting better like, yeah he's, he's literally getting better every getting single better. year and i mean save the the last year coming back from from the acl which yeah. which you you've talked about on this show the amount of time it takes to fully get back to 100 percent, both physically and mentally and to trust that knee and mm-hmm. he's back in that form and he looks like the best the best non-two-way player in baseball. He looks like the best version of himself and the best non-Shohei Otani player. That's I have the way a, to put it, yep. I have a a take that some people call hot that I think Shohei Otani may be one of the greatest baseball players that ever played baseball. I don't think Simply, it's a hot take. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it, 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 a lot of people who are like baseball historians and stuff think it's like a recency bias thing. And I'm like, no, like he legitimately... he. He's tied. I think. I think he's tied with uh, somebody for with maybe Eddie Rosario for most home runs in the month of June. But he also has like the third lowest ERA in the month. He legitimately is all star caliber at both of these things at the same time, and that has never been done in Major League Baseball history. Even Babe Ruth didn't do him at the same time. He transitioned from one to the other. He never really went hard at both at the same time. Right. And, I mean. Shohei Otani may be the greatest baseball player that's ever lived. This dude is a base, he's a player, man. He is a full-on baseball player. He's not just a great hitter. He's not just a great fielder, not just a great pitcher. He can just about do it all. And and I'm I don't think it's a hot take at all to say that. And I understand the recency bias argument, sure, but how many how many people in the history of baseball can you say have dominated like this, who have led their entire team in pretty much every offensive and pitching stat, lead the entire league in almost all offensive and pitching stats, or at least top five in just about everything? Uh, I mean, there's there are very, very, very few guys that have just dominated the game of baseball and make it look easy, Lindsay, like Shohei Otani does. Yeah, I mean, it's... <sighs> Again, everybody talks about Babe Ruth, but Babe Ruth didn't do it at the same time. And there was, I'm trying to find the thing. I've been reading recently, the thing I've been trying to get better at is Major League Baseball now considers the Negro Leagues to be professional baseball. 
And so all of those records are eventually going to be part of the the Hall of Fame and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there's been a few Negro League players who were able to be, uh, you know, all-stars at both at the same time. But nobody in Major League Baseball history has been as good as, as, as this at both. Think, think of it this way. They changed the rules of baseball for Shohei Otani. The, yeah. the rule about your pitcher... Uh, coming out of the game and being able to stay as designated hitter. That is a rule change that they put in place simply so that Shohei Otani could continue to be as good as he is. I mean, because the only thing that we've seen before this was Babe Ruth a hundred years ago almost. And, and I mean, it was never sure, an issue. <laughs> sure. Max Fried was a great hitter. And sure, uh, you could have. Uh, why am I drawing a blank on uh, the Giants pitcher with the Madison Diamondbacks? Bumgarner. Bumgarner could hit a bunch of bombs. He might hit a 470 foot bomb for you, but pitchers weren't good enough to hit because they just didn't do it. And then now we've got a generational, generationally talented player, maybe the most talented player of all time, mm-hmm. and he's changed the game. And I'm all for it. I mean. Change the rules to make it a more exciting product, but put him on, calf him on the field as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I think that's as long great as he's for the willing. Game. Yeah, as long as he's willing to. Do we know how much Otani practices batting, like in his batting practice and stuff like that, when when on off days and stuff? Do you know how much he practices, or is he just naturally gifted at swinging the bat too? So l- lucky you, I just finished a book um, from congratulations Jeff, from. <laughs> From Jeff Fletcher, uh, called Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball uh, season ever played. Okay. So, Shohei Otani, in essence, he does the work of both. He does his daily hitting. He does the pitching stuff. He does like he does everything. Mm-hmm. So he would start off with like I, I believe he would start off with uh, batting practice, and then he would jog out and join the pitchers for the pitching stuff. And my favorite, my favorite thing to think about, it came up again watching the College World Series when uh, I think Caglione was getting ready to go into a game, was Shohei in the World Baseball Classic was hitting and then between innings had to jog out to the bullpen and start warming up because he was going to come in in the ninth inning. Then he had to jog back in from the bullpen and go bat and then jog back out to the bullpen and finish warming up <laughs> so that he could come in the next inning and close the game by striking out Mike Trout with two outs in the ninth inning. Um, that's such a flex. That's such yeah. a flex if you're like that. I mean, if you're just that good, man, that's just... I mean, you can't deny that he's just one of the most talented players in all of baseball. And the wildest thing to me is he's always been a two-way player, and it never worked over here until they stopped trying to put restrictions on it. Mm-hmm. When he first got over here, the Angels kind of followed some of the rules that his Japanese team had where like he wouldn't bat the day before or after a start and all of the like they they'd skip a start here they, all of these things to try to like protect him and the best thing for him was when Joe uh, Madden got there Joe Madden got there and said just play as much as you can like just just be honest with us if you don't feel well and play as much as you can and he's gone out there and for the most part has avoided injury and put up two MVP caliber seasons I I know Aaron Judge won it but two MVP caliber seasons, and is the runaway favorite for a third one this year. I mean, it, when you look at this season, because this has been his best season so far, right? Isn't uh, that statistically the case, especially hitting? He's in over 300, right? 
I be- I'm trying to get it right now. I, I believe this is the combination of both. This is shaping up to be one of the best seasons of his career. Yes, okay. he, is, he has already been worth 5.1 war, you know, wins above replacement. So he's already... Uh, oh, okay. He leads all of major the major leagues in OPS right now, on base plus slugging. He leads all of in all of the major leagues in home runs and in RBIs as a His hitter. OPS plus is one sixty eight as well. Though. Yes, and then as a pitcher, he uh, he leads the American League in strikeouts per nine innings, as well as least number of hits allowed per nine innings, and uh, is six and three with a three one three ERA. So he's leading the league in multiple categories, both offensive and pitching. It's ridiculous, man. It's nuts. It's ridiculous. Well, unfortunately, uh, he does not play for the Atlanta Braves, but seems like they are doing okay without him. You do have a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, I saw a a graphic uh, maybe yesterday or the day before, and I wanted to get your thoughts and updates on this when it comes to all-star voting for uh, for the Braves position-wise. They had a couple of guys who were uh, leading their position group with all-star votes. You had a lot of them in the top 10, uh, and we're getting closer and closer to the all-star break and so uh, where do the Braves sit when it comes to getting some guys playing in the all-star game so as I understand uh, when voting closed today at noon Ronald Acuna Jr. was leading all of baseball in votes even more than Shohei Otani Uh, Orlando Arcia was leading all National League shortstops which is really interesting because you think about how much the rest of those guys your Lindors and stuff are making yeah compared to what Arcia is making Uh, Sean Murphy was leading catchers and then Atlanta had just about every other position on the field had somebody within the top two or three. Matt Olson at first base, Ozzy Albies at second, um, you know, Austin Riley at third, Michael Harris in the out. I mean, they had multiple players. All the like their regular starting nine were all within shooting voting distance of being in the All Star game. Wow. And part of that is the Braves have a giant fan base. Shout out Ted Turner, uh, you're the greatest. I love I loved TBS growing up. But part of it is just the Braves are the best team in baseball. I mean, that helps. They're forty-seven and twenty-six. They are. They have I second think, best record. Second best record. Rays. Biggest divisional lead in baseball, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, because they actually gained a, a game yesterday because everybody else lost but us. And so it's it's just, I mean, they're the best team. They have really great players. It is a great time to be a Braves fan. Yeah. I mean, when when you look at this team right now, I mean, yes. uh, Arcia very easily could get to 20 plus home runs but you've got what six guys in this lineup that could get to 30 kind of at the pace that they're on would would be close I mean if Sean Murphy comes back and gets hot and I mean who knows how many the red hot hitting machine of Marcel Azuna can hit (laughs) now that he had a month and a half of hitting what oh seventy six or whatever it was yeah close uh but yeah and now you've got this team and you've got Probably, I mean, Acuna is the MVP favorite for the NL, correct? Yes, he is, and it's not necessarily that close. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> all he's already at he's already at thirty one stolen bases, and we're not at the halfway point of the year. Yeah, I have a fun little tool here. Shout out to Fangraphs for this that uh, that gives you paces for player statistical production based on the percentage of games that they've played. Sweet. So, so as of right now. One, Ronald Acuna Jr. is on pace for 33 home runs and uh, 69 stolen bases. Good Lord. Yeah. But you have three Atlanta Braves, 
on pace right now for over 30 home runs. Matt Olson would have 47. Ozzy Albies would have 38. Who had him being second on the lead, on the team in home runs? Hmm. Ronald Acuna Jr. with 33. And you have four other guys that are one good weekend away from having 30 home runs. Yes. Yeah. Riley and Murphy would both finish with 27 on this pace. And Rosario and Ozuna would both finish with 29 on this pace. And so, like, and that's off of percentage of games played. It's not mm-hmm. like I'm assuming they play every single game. So, I mean, it, it, it's the Braves have an embarrassment of riches up and down the lineup. Everybody is working, and the pieces that you were missing, your Michael Harris in the nine hole, he's your guy that hits righties really well, that helps balance this lineup out. I mean, it's really easy to look at this and say the most disappointing regular in the lineup right now is Austin Riley. Yeah. Believe it or not. Which is crazy That's to think about. He's been an MVP caliber type of guy who. This year's hitting 259. We've seen him hit higher than that. We've seen him maybe have a little more power than to this point. But yeah. he's somebody that, when I look at this Braves lineup, I don't worry about him in the long term. I think it's just yeah. been a little bit below what the expectation he set the past few years. Yeah, I mean, and and he's still batting 260. It's hard to get mad about a guy batting yeah. 260. It's, it's the power production, the slugging of 430. He is actually... Uh, eighth among the nine brave starters in slugging right now behind only Michael Harris who has turned it on recently he Mm -hmm. was slumping a lot earlier this year so it's fixable I wrote a piece up I think a couple days ago about his issues specifically hitting fastballs where Riley's struggling on fastballs struggling to get inside and get turned around on him part of me I've noticed anecdotally his numbers seem to drop off ever since that kid was born (laughs) I don't think he's getting enough sleep at home and I think he's, he probably would do better on the road. Maybe they need to, I don't know, have a live-in nanny or something. If his mom could move to Atlanta, that'd be great. There you go. Whatever it takes, Fix right? It for me. Whatever it takes. Well, we talk about this Braves offense, and before we get to break, here's a stat for this game going on right now. It's tied at zero in the bottom of the eighth. The Braves are 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position today. So that's exciting, the fact that the Braves offense, we just talked about it for 10 minutes, and they've yet to do anything in this game. But what I love about this Braves team is you have, in essence, a worst-case scenario outcome right here Braves have three hits on the day they have nothing anything with runners in scoring position and they're not losing it's tied yeah exactly it's it's something where because the pitching stepped up and carried the team and they're one of the few teams in baseball that's gotten complete contributions from both the pitching staff and the offense this year and if one side slips the other side steps up and the offense is what keeps the Braves in games it seems like every single night let's take a first break here in our number one phone lines are open give us a call 334-321-1390 talking more baseball with Lindsey Crosby when we come back you are on the line on ESPN 1067 call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 all right, back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7, talking all things baseball and our uh, Baseball Power Hour with Lindsey Crosby of Locked on MLB Prospects, Bravetoday.com, and Auburn Daily. Lindsey, tell everybody where they can find all of that stuff and all the content you're creating, man. Yeah, so the hub for everything uh, is on Twitter at Crosby Baseballs, where you can find me. It's hard to miss me. I'm labeled as the big baseball guy, uh, but like Jacob said, starting at the lowest level working up, Auburn Baseball. AuburnDaily.com, Minor League Baseball, Locked in MLB Prospects, the number one daily Minor League Baseball podcast. Whoop, whoop. And Major League Baseball, BravesToday.com. 
You were talking about this Braves Phillies game in the break. We're watching. We got it on here in the studio. You said you have a interesting stat if the Braves were to win this game, tied at zero, top of the ninth. Braves got to do something on you're the road. You're going to jinx this, aren't you? Probably. Yeah. Probably. You're just gonna, I'm, you're I'm just really good out at that. And out and just jinx well, it. Well, okay, I'm really okay. good at that. So if the Braves <laughs> lose, I can't use this on the site tomorrow. So I have. To, this is good because I get it out somewhere. So I've been emailing back and forth with some folks at MLB Network. Um, that's not the stat. That's just kind of cool. I want to flex a little bit. <laughs> that's uh, it. That, yeah, yeah, that was the stat. You want to drop some names? and Yeah. Uh, Emily, she's great. So <laughs> if the Braves win this game today and they go into the Cincinnati series, given both these teams' win streaks, this will be the fifth time since 1901 that two teams have faced each other in the middle of an eight-game or l- longer winning streak. Wow, that is wow. a stat. And I have the four times that it's happened. It, it was um, 1901, 1906, 1975, the Oakland A's, actually. How about that? They used to be good at one point in time. And 2021, when it was Braves-Yankees. And I believe the Braves destroyed the Yankees in that series, and that was the end of the winning streak and the end of, the, really, the season for the Yankees. It feels like the Yankees have one of those one of those moments every year. Like, yeah. like I remember, what, New York five, baseball five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, it was Red Sox-Yankees at the top of the AL East, and, and the, what a time the, that was. the Yankees went to uh, Fenway for a four-game set. I got to go to Game 4 and watch... Uh, the Red Sox sweep them, and the Red Sox kind of launching pad go on to win the World Series, and the Yankees collapse from that point on. It just feels like they are prone for that big matchup series that goes horribly, horribly awry and sometimes just collapse. Where the bats just go cold. Speaking of bats going cold, completely random, not at all connected to the Yankees. In the month of June, guess who has the lowest team OPS in all of baseball? I'm going to say the Mets. No, it's the New York Yankees. That was that was that was the joke. Was <laughs> Dang, the, Yankees. the Yankees? Well, I I, yeah. I saw the stat. What what was it? Yesterday or the day before that? Since April twenty second, mm-hmm. the Mets have the third worst record in baseball. Yeah, how yeah. about that? They were fourteen and seven, and I think they're like twenty and thirty one since then. I love the and demise the, of New the, York baseball. The only two teams that have been worse are the Kansas City Royals, who were awful, and the Cardinals. And, well, it was the A's actually because. Oh. Even though the the A's had like a six seven game win streak in there and still had the worst record in baseball by like four games, there was a span of like a week where the A's were a wagon. Like they were, <laughs> you could not stop the Oakland A's. But it, it's so funny when they're playing like, the Braves or in that one week. Yeah, but like like thinking about that, it's so funny how the timing of your hot or cold streak can affect how we think about you as a player or a team or whatever. Like if the Mets start off incredibly cold and then turn it on and pick it back up. We don't think about, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, they're awful. Like, it, it, it's, it, it colors everything. Like, Michael Harris. Like the Braves last year. Like the Braves. Or like Marcelo Zuna, where Marcelo <laughs> Zuna started off so bad that people were, like, responding to the Braves on Twitter, like, DFA Ozuna, DFA Ozuna. And instead, he's now, I mean, like, he's now positive in war. He's got he's bat he's batting two forty one and it's his OPS plus is all the way up to one ten. Yeah, but like imagine if he had started the season on that heater and then had a month of decline. Like you wouldn't you would think about him completely different, not completely differently because he's got off the field things. But the timing of those win streaks or those hot streaks matter. And if the Mets start off super cold and don't have that win streak, I have a I wonder if Buck Showalter's still there. 
Wow. I, I mean, it's it's a legitimate question. I mean, I'll, because they, they spent more money than anybody in baseball. They yeah, are they there did. to win, and By they are not doing it. Ozuna over the last two months, he's a three oh seven hitter with, with 11 home runs and 28 RBI. You will take that out of a guy who Can't hate was that. hitting 085 for the first two months of the year. See, now flip that around. Imagine he starts off the year batting three oh seven. One, he's probably in that list for the All-Star game. Yes. Yeah, but then two, he starts to slump a little bit, and nobody's like DFA Ozuna. They're like, well... Yeah, nobody would really be worried about it. He'll pick it back up. Right. The timing of these things matters. It's the Michael Harris thing. People yeah, were exactly. Saying, demote, I was about to go to him next. People were saying, demote Michael Harris, send him to AAA to get right, but he started off the year pretty hot, then he got hurt, then he came back from the IL after being hurt, and he got hurt again, but played through it. And then he finally got a chance to be healthy, and he took off. Mm -hmm. If you Mm -hmm. adjust the order of this, and you start off with him being hot, and then he cools off because of injury, you're not concerned about it at all. By the way, over the last two weeks, I think he's hitting 435. Michael Harris has been maybe one of the hottest, what, two, three hitters in baseball over that stretch? Michael Harris is him. He's been been that dude. Yeah. Hey, he's been he's somebody that I've been happy over the past few weeks to have uh, to have kept on the uh, old fantasy baseball team because he's been huge i tried to get him a couple times couldn't do it i forgot that kimbrell is a closer for the phillies <laughs> i just looked at that on the tv and he just he's got called for a pitch clock violations than i ever thought he would have at the beginning of his career he's yeah. so good man but braves are struggling to get out of the tie at zero with the phillies we'll talk some college baseball and auburn baseball with Lindsey crosby when we come back Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Bird. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby in hour number one, talking all things baseball. Just talked about the Atlanta Braves and MLB a little bit, uh, but definitely want to talk college baseball with the College World Series uh, coming down to the wire. And then we have some Auburn news to talk about as well. We'd love to hear from you on the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Lindsey College World Series has been a lot of fun, man. It has. Uh, there's been just a few games that have been more than one-run games. All the rest of them have been fantastic. Tons of drama, stuff going on late. I do want to give two two little like one uh, TCU. That was a tough loss yesterday. Yeah. There, here's the reason that loss was so tough. So in case you missed it, TCU's down. I believe by like they're down by one. They have runners on. And uh, TCU's hitter with two outs launches a ball 110 miles an hour off the bat, goes 411 feet, and it's caught at the wall for the final out of the game. Here's why this is so tough. I think I know where this is going. In like, if you take if you go to MLB in the Statcast era, so the last I think decade or so, where we've had all this advanced stuff, if you plug in that exact. Exit velocity, launch angle, and distance. There's been 13 balls where that exact combo has been hit. 12 of them were home runs. The 13th was a ground rule double. Wow. And instead, this ball was caught at the wall because Omaha is where home runs go to die. That wind just howls in from, from, from center field. Or from, field. From it's a big left park. And center. Yeah, it's a big park, and then the wind makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Here's a wild stat, and I'm a little bit off on the exact number of games, but the ballpark's right. 
So there's been around 582 college baseball games in that ballpark because Creighton plays there too. Right. And there's been like 180, I think it's 183 college World Series games in that ballpark. There has never been a game with a combined five or more home runs. Really? Ever in that time frame. I like mean, five ballpark, is a lot, but since still. That, since that ballpark was first That's put amazing. in for play, it's never happened I think, because it's so big and the wind is so strong and howling in from the outfield. I'm pretty positive I saw a stat the other day that uh, Florida, through three games, had like they were tied for the thir- third most home runs hit in a College World Series by any team in the new park, and they were the only team that hit, they were they were. The fewest games played by any team on the list by like three or four. Yeah, it was crazy. And they the hit home like runs four, that they like were four or five home runs. Like that's all they had hit, and they were way up on the list. Right. It's it's just that park is so big and the wind is so strong that you just don't see it. And one of the reasons that I had picked Wake Forest to win the whole thing was one their all of their pitching metrics were by far the best. They had the best ERA in the country by like uh, six tenths of a run. It was ridiculous. But their ground ball rates uh, for pitching, mind you, were higher than average. Their fly ball, their line drive rates were lower than average. It's already tough to hit home runs in this park. And like the two LSU games, they won one, they lost one. They've given up a combined four extra base hits in those two games. The difference, the game that Wake Forest won, those extra base hits were a double and a triple. The game that Wake Forest lost, those extra base hits were a double and a home run. Ah. And so, like... Wake Forest hit a lot of home runs because they play in a tiny ballpark. It's like it's like Cincinnati size, if not smaller. Uh, but they also hit a lot of doubles in the regular season. So I figured their offense would do better than it has done. But their pitching staff has ex- like done exactly what we thought they mm-hmm. would. And nobody's putting up tons of runs on Wake Forest. It's just their offense has disappeared. And so now I'm about to look like an idiot because I picked Wake Forest to win the whole thing and they may not even make the championship. Well, before we talk about that game tonight, just recapping the College World Series in general, what have you noticed from from Omaha, the games that have excited you, the teams that really maybe surprised you uh, throughout their performance? We know Florida has already made it to the championship series and then Wake Forest, LSU play tonight in a winner move on, loser go home type of game. So Oral Roberts came in as a four seed. Nobody thought they had a shot. They knock off TCU in the first game. They lose a close one. They almost knock off Florida. God, and, they were so close. They had so many chances down yeah. the stretch. And it's just something where, like, baseball, more so than a lot of other sports, parity is more of a thing. Like, there's no way the Oral Roberts football team knocks off Florida, right? <laughs> but like, do they even have I, I'm assuming they do. I don't know, actually know that. Um, I will find that out for yeah. you. But, like, baseball is so close to parity. And with Oral Roberts, like, you see the recipe. The de- you have to have really good defense in Omaha. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they don't, because when you type in Oral Roberts football, the first result is Oral Roberts women's basketball. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think I'm, which one, what is the university doing right now SEO-wise? Why is that not everything pointing to baseball capitalize on the fact that you just made a college world series run come on guys right but it's something where you've seen you have to have good pitching right uh virginia stanford they get knocked out pretty early because the pitching wasn't quite there you have to have depth in your lineup tcu was able to fight back because they've got multiple guys 
that can go out there and can, you know, Florida's in the championship because they've got depth in the lineup. They got a home run from, uh, from the shortstop Rivera the other day, who has not had a great senior season. And so being a complete team matters in Omaha and getting through the, the first couple games, you got to have more than just two starters. Yeah. LSU goes to a guy. I want to say this was, uh, uh, not the, this is the Tennessee game. Maybe LSU goes to a guy that they're hoping he, they can get three innings out of him. And he gives them, what, six, seven shutout innings? There's always a guy every year who does that. Every year. And I I talked about this on the podcast. Every year there's a guy. Last year it was Kate Horton uh, for for Oklahoma. There's a guy who comes out of nowhere and is just incredibly dominant on the mound in Omaha. And they end up building themselves into a legitimate MLB draft prospect solely off of what they do in Omaha. And... Like it's that's the most fun part for me is just watching these pitchers that nobody knows, nobody has any expectations. He is the seventh guy in the bullpen, and he's like, "Yeah, give me the ball, coach," and he just goes seven shutty. Like that is the most fun for me in the College World Series. Well, I mean, I I love when you get to postseason and you have guys who just elevate their level of play or like a switch flicks on. Like I, I mean, Mason Barnett was kind of that for Auburn. He struggled for a while, and then they got in the postseason last year, and he was pretty daggum dominant, and he would give you a very solid six innings almost every time out, and it was really impressive, and and he gets drafted off of that. He's a Kansas City Royal now because probably of the strength of that dominance against UCLA. Like I remember talking to Butch Thompson after that UCLA start, after they finally got a chance to finish it because of rain and everything, and he like he, he acknowledged right there on the podium that that was an MLB caliber start. Yep. And like Mason Barnett's going to be a professional now. I mean, and and there was always, we knew that he had tools and we knew that there probably would be a team that would at some point in time take him thinking we can develop him. But like he, he was drafted in the third round, like the 87th overall pick off of that start and off of what he did in the postseason. Like it happens all the time because it's the competitive environment. And if I was a prep baseball player and I was trying to figure out do I want to go to MLB or do I want to go to college I really don't see with the advent of NIL how the money can make sense I really don't see why you would choose MLB over college especially with the just the long process it takes to get to major league baseball yeah I mean it's the the fastest prospects are going through the minors in three seasons mm-hmm. coming out of high school and so like, like Gunnar Henderson, the end of his third year is when he was debuting for Baltimore. And so, like, do you want to spend a summer riding buses around single A? Or do you want to go to the SEC tournament and it's your fourth game in four days and coach is like, hey, can you go give us five innings and right. you take the ball and eat? Like, which would or you if rather you're that, do? If you're that LSU pitcher and you're and and Maniri comes to you and is like, hey, did you hit in high school? And you're like, yeah. And you never did. And you hit the walk-off double and become a just legend in the college baseball community. And that, yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I, I totally lied about that. But he bought it and it worked. So don't he get said, mad at me. He said, coach, I just hit bombs. And then he stepped up there and, and, and hit he hit some. And like you said, became one of the most famous names in the College World Series. Speaking of LSU, they play Wake Forest tonight, winner take all. Moving on to play Florida who wins? And I, I guess we probably, I don't know if we'll talk to you on the air before this all wraps up, but with Wake Forest LSU tonight and then the winner moving on to take on Florida, just your picks and thoughts about all of that. So 
tonight, the whole game is going to come down to what can Wake Forest do against the LSU bullpen. The, the the starters, it is obviously, it is Paul Skeens for LSU. And I say obviously, they've not announced this yet, but come on. It, it's it's going to be Paul, Paul Skeens. Skeens would murder somebody if you tried to hold him out of this game. It is Paul Skeens versus Rhett Lauder. It'll be the first time since Kumar Rocker t- took on Will Bedner in Game 3 of the championship, Vandy, Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. The last time you had two pitchers that are going to be drafted in top 15 picks. Bedner was at 14, Rocker was at 10 by the Mets and didn't sign. So... But like, other than that, I don't think it's happened since the 70s. And you haven't had two guys of this caliber starting against one another. Uh, it's all going to be, one, what does Skeens and Louder look like on MLB rest? Skeens is known for going 120 pitches and just eating, but that's when he's pitching once a week. What does he do on a standard MLB rest? And then once he's finally out of the game, what does Wake Forest do against the LSU bullpen? Because they've seen just about everybody in this bullpen now. They've seen they've seen Floyd twice. They've seen a lot of these guys multiple times. Can they score runs against the bullpen? If they can, they have a chance to win. If they don't, it's over. I want you to explain to our listeners that don't maybe don't know the difference in what a college rest is for a pitcher versus MLB rest. Right. Okay, so uh, in college, typically the way it works, your three best pitchers are your Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys. And so every Friday night, your Paul Skeens is taking the ball and pitching as much as he can. MLB, you have a five-man rotation. And so an MLB rest is you pitch every fifth day. So instead of pitching once a week, which is every seven days, you're pitching every five. And there's surprisingly little like research that has been done about the difference in this. But my time talking to pitching prospects, both uh, guys who were at Auburn and then left or um, um, guys in the minors now, they always say the adjustment from pitching once every seven days to pitching every five days is by far the biggest adjustment they have to make in the minor leagues. And that's why so many pitchers, even when they look like they're dominant and amazing in college, will take a season, a season and a half, or two seasons to make it to the bigs, or their stuff won't be as good. They'll have higher velocity in college than in the pros. It's because they're throwing a lot more often. And one of the big questions you have with pitching prospects in the draft is how well will this guy adjust to the one every five day schedule? It's really weird that it's such a big question and we don't have any public research on it. But I think a lot of MLB teams have proprietary stuff about here's how we project this guy would do based on these factors. Hmm. If I were a betting man, gentlemen, tonight, Wake Forest, LSU, Paul Skeen's on the mound for the Tigers. I'm not picking against LSU. I'm taking the Tigers to win against Skeens, and I think that given two first rounders on the on the mound, two top fifteen picks, maybe I just trust that LSU offense a little bit more than I do the Wake Forest offense right right now, and so that that would be the way that I would lean. Yeah, I mean that's that's what you, if you go off the track record you've seen in the College World Series only in Omaha, then you've definitely seen LSU's offense be better than Wake's offense. And the LSU pitcher is better than the Wake Forest pitcher. Nothing against Rhett Lauder. He's a very, very good pitcher. But Paul Skeens, as I've said on the show before, may be the best college pitching prospect in Steven Strasburg. And I legitimately believe he could be in a major league bullpen at the end of this year, contributing wow. in a legitimate way. And I'd like him to go to the Pirates at number one. But isn't the issue kind of that the Pirates are fading here recently and you've got some other teams in the Central like those Reds that have been so dominant that have taken over first place? The the chances that we see Skeens in 
in a big league bullpen seems to be going down now. Yeah, it, uh, because the Pirates have lost, I think it's like seven straight right now or eight straight or something like that. Because of that, they're falling out of out of contention. Ooh, nine straight. Nine straight. There you go. I, I, I knew it was a lot. Um, <laughs> That's if, really bad. Yeah. yeah. If you take him, obviously there's less of a need to bring him up and do that. And in that case, what I would do, like if, if they take him and it's me, I'm probably shutting him down for a little bit and then working on the every five day schedule to get him ready to be in spring training with a chance to make the big league roster next year. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. I'm working mm-hmm. for if it's if it's me running the Pirates instead of Ben Sherrington. But if they find a way to get back into contention, you may see him in the bullpen this year. I just I don't see it happening with the Pirates simply because they've had so many injuries. Right. And I just don't think with O'Neill Cruz out that the position player yeah. core is good mm-hmm. enough to make it, especially with Cincinnati being so electric yes. with their with their young rookies. Mm-hmm. And with so they're O'Neill Cruz but better. Yes, Ellie De La Cruz. I had this on my show. Ellie De La Cruz is better than O'Neill Cruz. O'Neill Cruz is diet Ellie De La Cruz. He <laughs> He's just the, taller. He, he is the store brand Ellie De La Cruz. The great value. The brand. great value Ellie De La Cruz. That's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, hey, he is the clear Pepsi of of De La Cruz's. With the the shot in the arm that he has provided those Reds, your top five teams record wise in Major League Baseball right now are the Tampa Bay Rays, which I mean they've been good, but I don't think people would have expected them to be number one. The Braves, who've been really good for a while, but then it's the uh, it's the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Texas Rangers, and then in the NL Central, you've got the Reds. I mean, it's just a wild year in Major League Baseball right now. Nothing makes sense right now in Major League Baseball except for the fact the Braves continue, continue to win. Again, knock on wood, they are they are up three nothing in the tenth. Yeah, so, they they have started to the uh, the extra inning rule where you get the man on. It's it helped the Braves and they finally got some some hits with runners in scoring position. But want to take our final break, come back and wrap it up. Want to talk to Lindsay about the Plainsman Park upgrades? We'll have a few minutes to do that as we wrap up hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7 online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Wrapping up our number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, we have Lindsey Crosby in studio for the next couple of minutes. Uh, Lindsey, plug everything you got going on one more time before we run out of time, and then we'll talk about Plainsman Park upgrades. There you go. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, starting at the uh, bottom and working our way up. We've got college baseball, AuburnDaily.com. We've got minor league baseball, Locked on MLB Prospects, which is your number one daily minor league baseball podcast. And you've got Major League Baseball, Bracetoday.com. There you go. So go check it out. He does fantastic work. Uh, we have a few minutes left, Lindsay. I'm just going to open the floor to you. Plainsman Park, about to be one of the nicest ballparks in all of college baseball. It's nice now, but they're doing some massive upgrades to this thing. Yeah, Plainsman Park is a little bit behind the curve as far as the SEC and how often the facilities have been updated, things like that. It is one of the older ballparks in the SEC. I like the fact that we... It's not been trying to, we're just going to build a new park like Florida did. I like the fact that it's it's a, we're going to make this place better. Uh, a lot of premium spaces being added. A lot of general stuff for fans as well. You're going to have seats on top of the monster. Uh, I believe that we are now trying to brand that as the War Eagle Wall. You're going to have a, an enclosed structure that goes all the way down the first base line uh, as well. And, and there'll be luxury boxes up there. There's going to be premium suites, but like, behind the grandstand up where the current press box and radio booths are now 
and then you're going to have something in front of the current row of seats down at field level that's like a premium space down at field level right there at the action. Which obviously, is awesome. Behind the net, obviously. But you're going to lose some of that additional space back there and probably have to reconfigure the bricks and everything. Uh, what I am most excited about, selfishly, we're getting a new press box. There you go. Uh, now, it's not going to be right right there lined up with home plate. I was lucky enough to have the very inside edge of the press box. That last seat by the wall was mine. And so I was dire- literally directly over home plate. So I could watch pitches coming in, see the movement, things like that. And that's if you've read my Auburn baseball stuff at AuburnDaily.com, that's what you've seen me write a lot about is this guy's slider, that guy's curveball, things like that. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I like to do. But... I will be okay because I'm getting a new press box. <laughs> it is, uh, it is, it is sometimes cramped up there, especially when you're hosting a regional things right. like that. So it's nice to get whole new spaces. This is going to be done in waves. They're starting construction pretty soon, and the idea is once they get these these different premium spaces open, which will take, I believe that's supposed to be in place for, um, a, you know, a, a future season. Once they get these different spaces inside the park open, they're doing a whole nother project to enhance the student athlete spaces. They're getting, instead of just having a partial baseball office that's shared with the medical facility, they're getting that entire building and a lot of renovations in there for a new weight room, things like that as well. I believe Tim Hudson actually, something's being named after him. I believe he made a, a, a fantastic contribution to the university for that, as well as uh, Frank Thomas. And so the the club behind uh, home plate up high in the boxes is going to be called the home, the 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 Hall of Fame Club in mm-hmm. honor of Frank Thomas. That's cool. Well, well, look, we know they're doing just so many so many upgrades and renovations. We got about thirty seconds. What does this mean for Auburn that they're doing all this? Uh, it's an investment into the baseball program. It's something where football and basketball usually suck all the energy out of the room when it comes to facilities upgrades. And Auburn is prioritizing. Baseball has shown that they are getting the results with what they have. Let's Absolutely. give them more and hopefully they can get better results. Well, and, it, and it puts them on par with, with the rest of the SEC because you've seen so many upgrades around this conference and with baseball stadiums. No yeah. doubt. And they're putting $30 million into it, the Plainsman Park renovations. Lindsey Crosby, go check them out. Braves today, Locked on MLB Prospects and AuburnDaily.com. We appreciate you as always, sir. Thank you very much. Stay tuned, though. Hour number two coming up. We're going to talk about some college basketball coming up to start the hour. an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway in our number two here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. He's Carter Bird. I'm Jacob Goins. Uh, we appreciate Lindsey Crosby joining us in studio as he has been uh, what seems to be 
almost every week on Thursdays for our uh, baseball power hour is what we've called it and so we appreciate him joining us in our number one talking about the Atlanta Braves as they have a five to one lead over the Phillies in the bottom of the 10th uh, talking about what they've done up to this point also talking about how they're about to play the hottest team in baseball the Cincinnati Reds Lindsay had a really really neat stat if the Braves hold on to this game uh, and so you don't want to miss that be sure to go and catch up with the podcast we talked about the Braves we talked about College World series with LSU Wake Forest coming up tonight and we also talked about the Plainsman Park upgrades for Auburn baseball so if you missed any of the first hour you can go and catch up with the podcast later on today tonight tomorrow whenever you'd like ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast also go check out Lindsey Crosby locked on MLB prospects bravestoday.com and Auburn Daily but coming up here in hour number two want to talk some college basketball some news because there's a lot going on but do want to talk some football news as well well i uh, guess it's football and basketball news uh, it's yeah, a little bit of both it is a little bit of both and so we're going to talk about that uh for the next 30 minutes or so and then it's thursday so chris gordy of, of locked on sec he will join us at 3 30 to talk about these same conversations college world series all that good stuff so looking forward to that conversation as well until then uh the phone lines are open give us a call uh you can be on the line 334-321-1390 uh, if you want to chime in on the conversation, add to the conversation, uh, ask a question, whatever you want, we'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Uh, Carter, it is not the best day in Baton Rouge, I don't think, because they've gotten some unfortunate news when it comes to football and basketball. Yeah, they have, uh, I think it was, they've put themselves on three years of probation for football and basketball. Uh, the football side of this comes from uh, former offensive lineman Vadel Alexander, uh, who played from 2012 to 2015. They self-imposed uh, 30 vacating 37 wins during that span. Uh, and then I think they have some other punishments as well. And then part of this is self-imposed punishments uh, from the Will Wade era. A uh, very polarizing figure in college basketball. I think he's a really good coach. <laughs> he's he a just great coach. Was a little too out on Main Street talking about how he was cheating. I was going to say he's also just a cheater and admitted it and like and was just straight up caught. So he look he got he got some punishment. He got a two year uh, show cause. If you remember, he is at McNeese State now, which is in Louisiana. Uh, he is still he's still coaching. R- r- my favorite part about this. Part of their self-imposed penalties, they temporary unofficial visit ban, scholarship re- reduction for football. The 2020 football season, when they were like three and when they were like two and six or something, like at the end of the year, they're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna do a postseason ban this year." Oh yeah, I remember that when it was when it was they were having a catastrophically awful season. They're like, "Yeah, we're just well, we're gonna." ban ourselves from from a bowl game <laughs> it's like okay nobody wanted to play you in a bowl game anyway you right know, remember they had a catastrophic i think their last game of the year they only had like 40 something players dressing out oh yeah because of transfer portal guys leaving coach o getting fired all of that stuff it was a disaster the, and and they won did they, they beat did. a&m and it made no sense. Yeah, that was that was crazy. But uh, 
Yeah, so it seems like the NCAA, yes, they took their time. Don't you don't don't you forget that. The NCAA took their time. Oh, they are so slow. With They're just so bad. They're so bad, man. It's just the the fact that the NCAA is still governing the big schools and programs and college athletics really it's, just blows my it's mind. It's coming to an end. Oh, I, it is. It 100% is. The the end is in sight. Much like the end of the Nick Saban dynasty is in sight, the end of the NCAA is in sight. At some point, these the big two, the SEC and the Big Ten, are going to say, hey, let's go. Let's like... Come off to the side here and have a conversation. Let's govern Why do ourselves. Why we need them? And that's how that's going to go. And all you have to do is try to answer that question, and they're going to say, we don't. And whatever's left of the other Power Five conferences, because, I mean, we, who knows if the ACC and the Pac-12 will be there when that conversation takes place. The, the, the big two can be like, hey, you can either hop on board with us or you can, like, just fall way more behind than you already are. Mm-hmm. But But... Part of these punishments, I want to dive into this as well. The 37 vacated wins. I love this this language here. This was previously self-imposed, but it was confidential prior to the release of the report today. I love that. Say, hey, we're going to vacate 37 wins, but keep it between us. The NCAA and LSU, Just we're not going to tell anybody. Right. Just keep that on the down low. (laughs) We lost all these games because we cheated, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> well, you look at um, you look at the wins that were vacated. Thirty-seven wins vacated for LSU football between 2012 and 2015 under former coach Les Miles. LSU illegally played offensive lineman Vadel Alexander uh, while he was ineligible. LSU boosters had paid Alexander's father. $180,000, according to Outkick. I'm reading the article on Outkick. Um, yeah, I mean, you can you can say so many jokes about, uh, man, the Cam Newton deal, just looking better and better. Yeah, pretty the much. The alleged deal. <laughs> the alleged Cam Newton deal that, that may or may not have happened. You just they, Everybody likes to joke about that. Uh, but So, yeah, so you look at LSU football. Uh, they lose 37 wins in that three-year, that 2012 to 2015 time span. Uh, you look at Will Wade, and this feeds into our college basketball news. Uh, Will Wade, he gets the two-year uh, basically show cause which means your punishments follow you is what that means mm-hmm. just because you're at a new school doesn't mean you get off off free you have the, you have your basically your punishments follow you i have the full list of his he remember he just got hired by mcneese state this off season so these are going to go immediately into effect but he has no off-campus recruiting related activities during any applicable april or summer evaluation and or contact period uh, a reduction in official visits by four uh, each during the 2023, 2024, and 2024-2025 uh, academic years. No recruiting conversations. How about that? Conversations from September 1st of this year to and between September 1st and October 15th and September 1st of 2024 and October 15th as well. No unofficial visits. For in those spans as well, and he has suspended the first 10 contests of this season at McNeese State. Good. I mean, good. He deserved it. <laughs> I mean, he cheated. He, he straight up cheated and got caught, and like you said, he was 
like weirdly vocal about it and so it, it took the NCAA long enough and they they got him hopefully he learns and moves on and can do whatever because he is a really really good coach is Will Wade he just is he's a great coach but how he was getting players to LSU may not have been following all the rules here's one interesting thing though when it comes what I was gonna say let's be real here he's gonna have a recruiting conversation between September 1st and October 15th what no we're talking about Will Wade we're talking about college athletics the statement is uh, the statement of once a cheater always a cheater doesn't apply here I, I you know what I want I want a definition on what a recruiting conversation is is this like I say hello to a kid that or I happen to see a kid like walking down the street in in Baton Rouge who is a prospective student athlete and I said hello to him does does that count or is this like you you can't send mail you can't email anybody I mean if I had to guess if I had to guess the NCAA doesn't know either that would be my (laughs) guess is that they don't know either and they would just wait until it happened and then they're going to be like oh yeah you can't do that but you can do this and and a disaster is what it is um on the football side of things this is a really interesting point that I think a lot of our listeners would like to know. When you vacate those 37 wins for LSU football from 2012 to 2015, you know what that does? Takes away Auburn football's only regular season loss in 2013 to true. LSU. They yeah. would be undefeated in the regular season. That game with the pouring rain where Auburn played really horribly in the first half and then came back in the second half and looked pretty good and from that point on they were kind of a uh, runaway train a freight train until they ran into FSU in the championship game and we could we could talk about that that's a whole that's a rainy day conversation brother that is a rainy day conversation because we could do an entire show on that game but Jack Hutton good buddy of ours texted us and he said and he was asking he said if you if you were to take away that LSU game in 2013 of course Auburn making the run to the national championship that was sort of the turning moment the turning point for that team in that season for Auburn in 2013 where they figured it out right like you just mentioned they figured it out on the road and after that they rolled I mean they were playing really really well if you take that game out does Auburn make that run to the national championship I mean I think it's an interesting question on the the favorite game we like to play the what if game I mean if you say what in in college football? What do you do? You win a forfeit one to nothing. Is that is that what it goes in the in the record books as? Like I mean, if you say you don't play the game at all, it's an interesting conversation because I do think that halftime of that game when you're playing that poorly was the turning point. That mm-hmm. was the moment that you were like, oh, okay, we have found an identity. We know who we are. And we're going to lean into it. And I feel like that's a pretty common thread with Gus Malzahn teams. It took them a while to figure out who they were. Mm -hmm. And once they figured it out, they were really tough out. And they played their best ball in that middle of the year towards the end of the year. Yeah. uh, Until, I mean, 2017, injuries do you in at the end of the year. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thought. If you don't have that, that... pivotal moment where you basically just in the middle of a halftime decide we're gonna run the ball for 400 yards a game <laughs> we're, we're gonna hit the ground pass. yep 
and we're just going to run through everybody's chest yeah. in the conference. And it's crazy to think what happens if – okay, so again, if the LSU game doesn't exist because technically in the record books it will not as a loss now, um, where would Auburn's turning point have been? Where would it have been? I mean, it – Ole Miss, maybe A and M, maybe you just never know because it would, after it would have to be that A and M game. I think so that too. Was that was the moment that was like okay, this team's for real because we didn't really know. I, I mean, that Ole Miss team, sure they were they were solid, they were good, but nobody thought Auburn was for real until A and M going to College Station beating Johnny Manziel. And that was the moment where it's, hey, that 3-9 and nine team from 2012, that team's dead and gone. This is 2013. This is different. And that was what picked up all the momentum. You carried into Arkansas. You go on the road to Tennessee. You hang 55 on them. And you throw seven passes in what was maybe my favorite just random wild card Auburn game that I've I've been to in person. Uh, and then you, you continue it with... The uh, prayer at Jordan Hare, the kick six, SEC championship, like you, it became a snowball rolling downhill after that A and M game because that's the moment that you staked your claim. We are back. We are for real. Yep. And now Auburn is technically undefeated in the regular season of 2013 because the one loss against LSU no longer counts. They I had mean, to vacate 37 wins. If you dig around enough around FSU, who knows? You may be able to find something there, too. hey <laughs> Let's get to our first oh, break at hour number joking. two. <laughs> kind Are of, we, though? <laughs> That's right. Are we, though? I don't know. We're going to get to the phone lines when we come back. 334-321-1390. You're listening to the Thursday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Let's get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Terry, you're on the line, man. What's up? Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Doing good, Terry. How are you? Doing all good. right, Terry. How are Pretty you? Pretty good. Carter, I want to answer that question for Will Wade is doing to those players of recruiting-wise. He said, I'm only going to be at McNeese State two or two years, three years the most. I'm gonna get. You, I'm gonna recruit you to wherever I end up. Wink, wink. <laughs> I Do mean, you, hey, I will tell you what. I think he's a really, really good coach. He, he yes, is. he he cheats or he did cheat. I will say that. I'm not gonna. That's say, a better way. To I'm put not it. gonna say the the present form because uh, I'm gonna give him the the benefit of the doubt that he's learned his from his uh, his ways. But yes, he was cheating. But I think he's a really good coach too. Yeah, I say he ends up with a big time job. Maybe back in the Southeastern Conference. I don't know. I don't I think, know. Either. I think wherever he does end up, if it happens, he's going to wait out all his punishments, and then he will go there uh, without any any restrictions. But I think it's going to be tough for a big time program. Somebody will, but it will be tough for big time programs to to sign the dotted line with him because of his past. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, but the like, think about it. Everybody. Granted, he had way more level one violations than, or way more violations. Period. Definitely level one violations. I think he set a NCAA record for that. But um, in the record he had books, way baby. more violations than Bruce Pearl did. But everybody kind of Bruce Pearl was that like you don't want to touch him. You don't want to touch him. Auburn takes a chance. Mm-hmm. It pays off. It goes really well. 
Heck, look at Ole Miss. Yeah. Ole Miss just hired Chris Beard. I mean, somebody is going to somebody is going to hire Will Wade away from McNeese, provided that he continues to have success as a coach there. Let me throw this school out there, guys, because you know the direction that school's headed, Kentucky. Interesting, Kentucky. Interesting. I, I, I don't think Kentucky would hire him. I think it would be you would see like a South Carolina. No, I think they would. Carter. I think I think if if the it's I think it's Lamont Parish, right? Who's the coach at? At South Carolina, if that doesn't go well, which I don't think it is going to go well, I could see South Carolina here in a couple years hiring. And if you go outside the conference, a school that had a lot of success I know early in my life and has been pretty much non-existent for a long time is DePaul. Okay, yeah, Big East. I mean, I think there's a couple of Big East schools you could go there. Or what about? I mean, maybe some Big Ten schools. Like there's, I mean, th- think about like a. I don't know. I feel like I feel like the Big Ten kind of has. Uh, air of moral superiority that they try to to laud themselves with where I feel like it'd be a little tougher sell for one of those Big Ten schools. Right. And Jacob McCarty, where do y'all stand on this vacating wins? Because it still doesn't change what happened between the lines. I mean, I think it's... I mean, I think it's dumb when when it's not a team that, like, didn't win a national championship or something. When it's... I mean, when it's an LSU team that in reality didn't do anything in terms of uh, winning a winning a conference championship or a national championship, it doesn't mean much to me. I just don't think it means much, period, quite honestly, because if the game was decided on the field, it doesn't matter what the record book says because the fans are always going to come back and say, well, that's not going to happen on the field. That may be what the record book says, but that's not what happens on the field. Well, I mean, that's, that's what happened to Alabama years ago. Mm-hmm. That's fair, but the, the – 2013 uh, Louisville basketball banner or wh- whatever year it was, they aren't allowed to fly that thing in their in their arena anymore because of that getting vacated. Um, Auburn's 11 and 0 season in '93 in football. Yeah, uh, you know they were 11 and 0. Look, I was as happy as anybody, but technically, you know, we know what happened. Yeah. Terry, Terry, we're still looking for the national champions in 2004. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> good. Good point. Yep. And they weren't on probation or nothing then. Right. They were just better than everybody. And, uh, you know, I had an argument with a guy in, in Talladega. i be honest with you, he just got thought Auburn didn't get a shot at that national title that year because of the performance against USC the past two years. I, I kind of agree. I mean, I, I think that it's it's a game that you had seen, although teams are different from year to year, I do think that Auburn losing both of those games in 2002 mm-hmm. uh, and 2003, and especially losing the game in 03 the way you did when you were supposed mm-hmm. to be one of the best teams in the country, I think it affected it. Now, my argument was I don't think they could have beat USC, but I think they could have thumped Oklahoma a new one. I think they would have they, thumped Oklahoma. I think they would have hung with yep. U- USC the whole way because no that defense was nasty. Yep. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, appreciate the call, Terry. Good to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Rolling into another phone call. Sam, you're on the line. What's up? Hey, um, I was just going to ask a question about the um, NBA draft. Okay. okay. I was wondering if uh, if uh, Wendell when, Green Jr. had any kind of draft stock. I don't think he's going to get drafted. I'm just uh, I I think that Wendell's uh, kind of hopes would be maybe a G League contract somewhere or playing overseas. I I, they, I don't see a scenario where Wendell will really has a chance to be drafted at all. I mean, if if Janai Broom wasn't 
likely to be drafted in the first two rounds. Um, I don't see a way that Wendell does because Janai was the best player on that Auburn team this past year. Um, I just don't think he's tall enough. I don't think he shoots well enough. Um, I I don't see it happening. Yeah. Why Why do you think he left for the draft in the first place? Because like I completely agree. Like he doesn't have any of like the traits that would make him have success in the NBA. I wonder if it's a little bit of the kind of the reason why Jared Harper left before his senior year because when you're at that height your stock's only going to get so much higher like it, it like you're kind of at your ceiling and I do think that having Trey on the roster coming back for the next season having Aiden Holloway coming in the door I don't think his production was going to go up I don't think his minutes were going to go up um, which means I, his draft I, stock yeah, wasn't going to go up. exactly exactly and I think it would have been very difficult for him to uh, improve his draft stock coming back. Not, I mean, not that he's going to get drafted tonight. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think? Like the, what do you think the ceiling for this team would be for Auburn? Yeah. Oh, I think it's going to be space the floor out. I think you're gonna you're gonna see a return to a little bit more of the. Running gun up tempo, shoot shoot a bunch of threes. Jai Broom, I think it, life's going to be so much easier on him with shooters around mm-hmm. him. I think this Auburn team is going to be drastically better than this past year because of that shooting and, and that's what make. That's what I was going to say, and Sam. This this team is going to shoot the basketball, and they're going to be good at shooting the basketball. Unlike we've seen the past couple of years for Auburn, this Auburn team is going to be able to shoot, run, and score with anybody. I think Chaney Johnson, Chad Baker, Mazzara, Denver Jones bring something to you to this team that you didn't have last year and I think you're going to have rotations where your backups are on the floor and you can still score there were lineups that Auburn ran this past year where Auburn just could not score yep. without its best players on the court yeah uh who who do you think is going to lead the team in um scoring this season Broom. Mm, I would say Broome yeah. or Denver Jones. Den- Denver Jones is probably going to be my pick. Those are my, my two picks, and I could go either way. All right, guys, thanks. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate the call, it. Sam. Good to hear from you. We appreciate you holding on uh, and joining us on the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Yeah, with, with Wendell, I just, I'm with you. Your statement's correct. He, with his, if he would have came back or played wherever, like his stock wasn't going to go up, but we also know as, as crappy as it is, He's just short for the NBA. He's, he's short. just short. I don't think he's fast enough or quick enough. I don't think he has the court vision. If you're going to be that small, you have to have elite court vision. I don't think he has that. He's not a good three-point shooter. It's the the traits that you need as a small point guard in the NBA. I don't think he had very many of them. If Jared Harper can't make it, Wendell Green's not going to make it. That's my I mean that's that's all you got to say in my opinion. That's 100% true. 100%. And, and I think that's why, I mean, he's at least testing it out. And I think he'll play somewhere. I just don't think he gets drafted uh, drafted tonight. And then, uh, when you, yeah, when you look at this Auburn basketball team, I know we haven't talked a ton about it. There hasn't been a ton of news going on with that. But, man, it's exciting. It, yeah, it's so exciting. I do think that your locker room competi- composition is going to be better. I think there oh, will yeah. be a little bit of addition by su- subtraction with certain guys leaving bringing in guys who kind of, I think the the mentality is going to be a lot more 
team focused than we saw this past year. I think you're going to see a lot better chemistry too. Yes. Because we saw, I mean, you and I at games and stuff like that in timeouts and just on the floor. It just at times it didn't seem like they were, let's just be honest, didn't seem like they were having fun. And I think you're going to have fun this year if you're going to win basketball. the Dagum Conference. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm planting that flag. Everybody is, un, is underestimating this opportunity. I'm with you, man. I think they're going to be really, really good. Sam, Tara, we both appreciate you calling in. Uh, when we come back, though, Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC joins us. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. He's Carter Bird. I'm Jacob Goins, and we are joined by Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC, our usual Thursday 3.30 guest joining us on the phone lines. Chris, hope you're doing well, man. There's a, a lot going on uh, to talk about in the SEC when it comes to college baseball. We got some football basketball news as well for Chris Gordy. Got turn Chris uh, on. There yeah. you go. There you go. We got you now. <laughs> All good, guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's a busy night tonight. I was I did not expect to be watching some uh, some SEC baseball tonight, combined with the NBA draft, and uh, you know it's uh, going to be busy. We'll see how many SEC guys go in the draft. We expect Brandon Miller will go somewhere in the top three or four. But, um, yeah, I'll be watching to see if LSU can stick it to Wake, and maybe we get an All SEC championship once again in uh, in Omaha. Speaking of that LSU-Wake matchup tonight, you've got two first-round pitchers on the mound. Of course, Paul Skeens, one of the most talked-about pitchers maybe uh, in I mean, the past, what, 20, 30 years in college baseball. Um, what do you think about that matchup, and could we just see a just all-out pitcher's duel between two of the best in college baseball? Yeah, I just I, – and look, I'm trying not to be the SEC homer here, but I, I went digging through the numbers last night on, on both pitchers. And uh, Wake starter, he just – like when I looked at his track record of, of who he's faced this year, obviously the ACC was a mixed bag. There was some – you know, there, there weren't very tough teams there. Um, but Paul Skeens is more battle-tested. I mean, this is a guy who this season alone has faced Arkansas twice, Tennessee twice, uh, he's faced Auburn. He's faced Alabama. He's faced Georgia. I mean, he, he's faced uh, you know Kentucky twice. He's faced the best the SEC has to offer, mm-hmm. and overall has dominated those lineups. And to me, that's that's more impressive than what anybody else has done. And again, I, I look at the Wake Forest kid. I think he's what like eighteen and zero on the season. He's got a you know a low ERA too. I think he's under two like schemes, but. Man, that's where I got to defer to. You know, what have you faced? And I know, you know, maybe none of that really matters tonight because it's, it's just a one game, and it, all all Wake's got to do is put up a couple runs on Schemes, and they could steal this one. But I just look at Paul Schemes, man. I mean, of all the great pitchers LSU has had throughout the years, from uh, you know Austin Nola to I mean every big time arm they've had come through there, uh, some greats. None of them have been what Paul Schemes has been. So. I'm expecting schemes to go out there and dominate. This is going to be on a one day less short rest. Uh, we'll see how much that factors in or plays a role, but um, I expect him to still go out there and dominate. And really, the story of the tournament has been what LSU's pitching has been able to do because you know, I, I was on with you guys a couple weeks ago saying, I don't know how far LSU can go because 
outside of Paul Skeens, they have a whole lot of question marks with that pitching staff. Right. And all these kids have answered have answered the bell, whether it was Ackenhausen the other night. Like, realize the story on Ackenhausen. The kid was a community college pitcher who was a starter there, but this year was a reliever all year for LSU. He makes his first start of the season you know, for LSU in Omaha and goes six shutout innings. I mean, that doesn't – you don't get much better than that. Uh, talk about being the hero and rising to the occasion – uh, but even last night, they, their freshman lefty, they throw him out there, and he eats up four and two-third innings. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just – it's phenomenal what they've gotten. And, you know, LSU's bats, they they haven't been the eruption that we've seen so much of the year, the eight, nine, ten runs. But uh, who knows? They could do that tonight, and, and all it takes is just to be one run better than Wake Forest, and uh, they'll be advancing to, to take on Florida. So, um, I don't know, man. I mean, look, Wake's got a chance. They're, they're a very talented team, too. There's a number one team, but – they do carry a little bit of that curse. You know, typically you don't want to be the number one team in Omaha because mm-hmm. typically that team gets ousted more often than not. So uh, we'll see what happens tonight. But I do know LSU is going to feel really confident. And, and they're riding a wave of momentum, right? Like you coming out of the loser's bracket, yeah, you had to win three straight, and, and here we are. They beat Tennessee, they beat Wake once, and they're going for another one against Wake tonight. And on the flip side, you have Florida, who's already in the championship series, who I, I think – I mean, I think they're probably the favorite to win it now, just how well they've played. Uh, what's your take on, on the Gators and whoever they play up or match up against, whether it be Wake Forest or LSU? Yeah, it's similar to what LSU and, and, all, and Florida was back in 2017. LSU had to play an extra game and use their ace. And uh, I, I want to say it was Lang. I'm trying to remember who it was at the time. But, um you know, they didn't have that guy going into the championship series of Florida and they end up losing because they were just trying to piece some pitching together. Now, Ty Floyd, who's their their you know, their second best pitcher, it sounds like he'll be ready to go for the championship series if they get there, but um you know, we won't see Paul Skeens. I mean, maybe depending on how long he goes tonight, maybe if you get to Monday, you know, game three Monday you could get an inning or two out of him. But uh, you know, if it's a winner take all championship game, but um but, yeah, it's advantage Florida. I mean, Hunter Waldrop's been outstanding. Uh, they got Jack Taglioni. I mean, they, they've got so many different weapons that they could come at you with, and their offense has been uh, so good, too, with the timely hitting. Um, so, yeah, look, Florida is, you know, right now, if you're placing a, a you know, Vegas bet, Florida is the Vegas favorite to win it all right now because no matter who comes out of tonight, Wake or LSU, they will not have their ace going into the championship series. We uh, have the NBA draft here on ESPN 106.7 tonight. So switching gears to that, we know that several SEC players will go in the first two rounds. Brandon Miller will more than likely be the first one off the board. There's actually been some movement in the betting lines for the third pick, and it's starting to look like uh, maybe it may be Amen Thompson instead of uh, Brandon Miller. But how do you see this the draft tonight going for the SEC, and uh, do we see Brandon Miller fall out of the top three? Well, I'll tell you this: I, I'm in Houston, and we're actually uh, we're setting up. We're doing a live uh, doing a live broadcast tonight with our guys. Uh, you know, broadcasting from the, uh, the Rockets are doing a big draft party, and uh, oh, sweet! It's yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. And this is you know, this is like the third year in a row we're doing it. You know, you had they had Jalen Green two years ago, of course, Auburn's uh, Jabari Smith last year. And, uh, and now they have the fourth pick this year. And all the mock drafts have had Eamon Thompson going to him at four. And now we're starting to hear some wave of, you know, hey, Brandon Miller might fall, Scoot Henderson might fall. I just know this. If either Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson are there at the fourth pick, the Rockets will trip over 
themselves to go get the card in to, to pick one of those guys. And honestly, I, like, I think they like where they are guard-wise. I think Brandon Miller would fit perfectly in the mix here. Um, you know, could slide right into your small forward spot and, uh, and I think would be, would be a perfect mix to go in between Jalen Green and Jabari Smith. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it's, it's always funny. You know, I was telling the guys a year ago at this time, it was kind of consensus that Jabari Smith was going to go number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Chet Holmgren, you know, the OKC was decided on him at number two. And the thought was Paolo Bancaro was going to be our third three. And that's who the Rockets were going to take it. So the whole like 72 hours leading up to draft day, we were like, yeah, so it's going to be Paolo in Houston. And all of a sudden the day of the draft, uh, the reports start coming out that Orlando loves Paolo. And we're going, wait a minute, is Jabari Smith Jr. going to fall to the Rockets at three? Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So, would be kind of poetic to get a, a, an Auburn guy one year and a Bama guy the next and have a little Iron Bowl rivalry here in Houston. So uh, I'm all for that. But uh, you know, it's kind of funny that the, the Rockets went all SEC in the first round last year. They had three first-round picks. They took, uh, of course, Jabari Smith out of Auburn, Tari Easton out of LSU, and Ty Ty Washington out of Kentucky. So uh, they love the SEC. We'll see uh, if the Rockets they have a pick number four and pick number 20. Uh, wouldn't be surprised, you know, if Kaysen from, from Kentucky Falls, maybe they might look at him. Or uh, I've even seen Noah Clowney from Alabama uh, projected to the Rockets with the 20th pick. So we'll see uh, We'll see where they end up going. Chris, I mean, if, if Scoot falls to four and the Rockets take him, then you could have the greatest hypothetical Auburn team of all time uh, on the <laughs> Houston Rockets with Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, and Scoot Henderson because there's all those stories that if Scoot and Jalen didn't go to the G League – they were Auburn locks, and they were going to play for Bruce Pearl. What would that have looked like to see those three guys on the court at the same time at Auburn? Yeah, no, that's it, it was funny. When that story came out a few weeks ago, I, I hadn't heard that before about Jalen Green. I didn't realize that that you know he loved Bruce Pearl that much and was going to go play for him. But, yeah, that's a that's an ultimate what if, what could have been. And who knows? We'll see if Ime Adoka works out as the Rockets' new head coach. Maybe, you know, two years in, if he doesn't, well, maybe we can go get Bruce Pearl, and he'll come coach the Rockets. Yeah, and you look at you look at the NBA draft with all the SEC guys. Auburn doesn't really uh, have anybody really there in the mix. They had a couple of guys test maybe the waters, year. but yeah, maybe next year, uh, maybe next year. Chris, it seems like the Rockets, if they just keep doing their thing, they'll build a whole starting five out of top five draft picks. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, their five is is a kid, uh, Alpi Shingun, that they got. Uh, he was a first round pick from them for him a couple years ago, so. It's it's interesting, guys. They've done the full rebuild teardown since James Harden left, and they've rebuilt with all these young players. But it's it's a tough rebuild. Like you want some veterans. I mean, there were some rumors about maybe James Harden coming back, and you know maybe they'll get in on some of these free agent uh, you know big names that are out there. But it's like it's tough going through a rebuild, man. You you want some you want some big names and you want some big talent. So uh, we'll see what they end up doing. Yeah, and and one more thing on the draft. It seems one thing I've learned is th- the odds makers in Las Vegas, Nevada, know exactly what they're talking about, and they know more than anybody does. And so, if the lines and, and odds start moving, something's happening behind the scenes. I can tell you that NBA draft tonight, right here on ESPN 106.7, starting at six o'clock. So be sure you tune in for that. Chris, some more news that we got today about the SEC. Lots to talk to you about. We're talking with Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. LSU football and basketball got some uh, some not so great news as football vacating 37 wins from 2012 to 2015, and then Will Wade now at McNeese State. He got a uh, a nice slap on the wrist from the NCAA as well. 
Yeah, I don't. I I thought it was a big gun. I mean, we've been hearing for years. Oh, they got this smoking gun, and they got Will Wade and all this stuff. In hindsight, we knew this was the way it was going to come down. LSU should have just hung on to Will Wade. I mean, Auburn did the smart thing. They hung on to Bruce Pearl. Obviously, Bruce Pearl had the bag men, so that was a little bit easier to deflect from him. Will Wade actually had him on on you know the wiretap saying, uh, you know, we got a strong ass offer and all that stuff. But to me. Again, Auburn made the right move. They stood by. Uh, they stood by him. I thought LSU should have stood by Will Wade. And uh, you know, regardless, he's at McNeese. We'll see what he does there. If he rebuilds them into uh, you know a contender, possibly he'll he'll end up getting another job and be back into big time college basketball. So, um, but but ultimately, I mean, who cares? Like vacating <laughs> football wins, and it wasn't a championship year. Who cares? Those are the exactly. dumbest things ever. Like, ask Bruce Pearl if he cares that they took some of his wins away. Like, nobody cares. It's, it's the dumbest thing ever. And it's, it just shows the NCAA has little to no power. Um, nobody cares when they, you know, come down with the iron fist. You know, the things Will Wade was guilty of are now legal. It's now, it's now legal to pay players. NIL has, has made that a possibility. So it's all just a stupid song and dance, and it's all just, it's all just moves to make us think that the that the NCA is actually doing something and earning some money for their job, but it's it's an absolute joke. It, no one cares. And I was talking to my buddy who's a Tennessee fan. He goes, "Man, this is a uh, is boding well for us. We hope we just get a little bit of a slap on the wrist. Vacate, vacate <laughs> a bunch of wins. Who cares? Like we'll we'll uh, we'll be just fine. So we'll see what happens." I mean, Chris, it's a big deal in Auburn because that means 2013 Auburn went undefeated in the in the regular season. The the Leonard Fournette run of where he flipped Trey Matthews over his shoulders <laughs> never happened, and Auburn now has three wins in Baton Rouge since 1999. Yeah, maybe call Gus Melzahn. He's at UCF. They know all about state national championship. Right? <laughs> maybe I love up, that. That yeah. was fantastic. That is fantastic. Well, it, moving forward, Chris, we were pondering the question a little bit with Will Wade. We believe he will, and you mentioned it, that he will get a big-time job somewhere, not at McNeese State. But do you think more than it was with Bruce Pearl when he got hired at Auburn, do you think it'll be difficult for these big-time programs to truly consider Will Wade, given his past in the in the cheating that he's gotten caught for? No, like because, again, it's – we're talking about something that's okay now. It was taboo to pay players. Now it's okay. So it's like, it, it, look, you're, you're as good as your talent. If, if Will Wade starts winning at McNeese and makes them somewhat relevant, they're going to be just fine. Like everyone, no one will care that Will Wade once paid a player. I mean, it's Hugh Freeze. But, you know, they had Larry Tunsil coming out on draft night. Dropped, they were dropping DMs of him talking to coaches about paying his mom's electric bill and all that. And you freeze is back in the SEC a few years later. So, uh, look, time heals all wounds. Uh, we'll wait. Give him about two years. I think he'll be back coaching at a big-time program. Is he going to be in the SEC in two years? You know, that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe not so much there. Greg Shanky has shown he is a guy who holds a grudge, and that's why Hugh Freeze had to wait as long as he has to get back into the SEC. But, uh yeah, maybe not in the maybe not in the SEC, but definitely somewhere. You know, maybe one of those mid majors. Like that's where he came from. So maybe I could see him like a Marquette or something like that. Okay, okay, I could see that. We had a we had a uh, a caller earlier drop the school name of Kentucky for Will Wade. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, <laughs> but you know, but but yeah, look, that's that's a real possibility. They got to start thinking about like life after Calipari because. He goes another year. Calipari with the five stars he's got in this class, 
if he goes one and done, and, and or you know they miss the tournament or something like that, God, I mean, he is done in, in Lexington. They will be pushing him into the administrative offices, going, "Get your butt off the off the court for us." And that's a very real possibility because Calipari, man, I don't know what's going on there, but it has been a decade since he won a title there. That's a long time in Kentucky. That's a very very long time for a guy that gets the most talent than anybody else in the entire country with John Calipari there in Lexington. Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC, joins us every Thursday here on On the Line. He's always got great things to say. He tells it like it is and holds nothing back, and that's why we like having him on. Chris, we appreciate you, man. Plug everything you got going on and where people can find your podcast and what's coming up. Yeah, Locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcasts, we got an episode up today uh, talking the latest on recruiting news across the conference. But you definitely want to subscribe and check out next week's episodes. I'll be at the Manning Passing Academy tomorrow, catching up with some of the SEC quarterbacks who are there in attendance, like Devin Leary at Kentucky, Jaden Daniels at LSU, Will Rogers, Mississippi State. So, uh, unfortunately, Peyton Thorne didn't get the invite, but uh, maybe, who knows, down the road he will. But check that out. We'll have some of those interviews for you next week at Locked on SEC. Excellent, man. That'll be a lot of fun. Looking forward to listening to that and looking forward to having you on next week. All right. Thanks, guys. That is Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC. Joins us every Thursday here on ESPN 106.7. A reminder, NBA Draft, you can listen to it tonight live starting at 6 o'clock as soon as the drive is over. Stay tuned and don't turn the radio dial. The NBA Draft tonight here on ESPN 106.7. We'll talk about that as we wrap up the show on the other side. the line on ESPN 1067 online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app wrapping up the Thursday edition of on the line big big thank you to Chris Gordy host of locked on SEC joining us had a lot of SEC news to talk about today and Lindsey Crosby back in the first hour as well of locked on MLB prospects brave today.com and Auburn daily let's get to the phone lines one more time 334-321-1390 Dak what's going on man you got about a two minutes I got you I got you I tried to get in earlier when you was talking about the Will Wade and the cheating thing but but uh since I don't have much time, we'll just talk about that 2013 LSU game. Okay. Uh, yeah, you were talking about it earlier, and that's the reason I was wanting to reply yeah. to it. But uh, you remember in the last minute when we had the ball, we started throwing the ball. I never understood that. I know we didn't have a lot of time, but, you know, LSU's defense was out there the almost the entire second half. They mm-hmm. were gassed. And we had been running up and down the field on them, especially in that fourth quarter. And I wish Gus would have kept running the football, even even with when there was a minute left. I, I believe we I believe we would have taken it in, but instead, you know, I think we threw the last six plays. We threw the football. Yeah, yeah. And I believe we would have just kept running the football in a hurried up mode. That I think we could have had a more better chance of scoring and ending that game with a win than you know passing in that last yeah yeah and I'm I'm with you I mean if it ain't broke don't fix it right and Auburn obviously they figured it out at the half and they did man they ran all second half long on that LSU defense and and look it's understandable right late game you got you feel you feel the need to throw the ball to move it quicker all that type of stuff but I'm with you man I mean if it if it was working I'd I'm I'm with you, man. They should have kept running, but not the first time we've had to question Gus Malzahn's coaching calls. <laughs> right, and not not to mention, you remember it flooded, so the field was a mess. Right, it yeah. It wasn't field conditions to throw the football either. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, so, and let's be honest, it wasn't like Nick Marshall was the, the best throwing quarterback you've ever seen. Right, absolutely. 
absolutely. And he got better at the end than he was at the beginning. Absolutely. But at that point, he was not a very good thrower at all. Yeah, so what, I, I mean, 100%. Yeah, I'll save my conversation for what I wanted to bring up with Will Wade and all that for another day. I know you some close out you'll yep. have a good one appreciate the appreciate call jack. jack we appreciate you calling back and uh we'll probably talk about it some more tomorrow so if you want to call in uh you can chime in on that because i'm sure i'm sure jack has some interesting thoughts on the will wade stuff yeah 100 I'm, I'm sure he does yeah. i mean will wade's a very polarizing figure uh and uh i thought it was funny to hear chris's comments about vacating wins about how they <laughs> absolutely mean nothing he had when, the exact statement you made of if it's, it's not a not championship, a championship team, it does not matter which is 100 percent true like, I mean, other than... Congratulations, you lost your win. So and, what? And Reggie Bush doesn't... Does he have his Heisman back? I, I, I know that they took it from him. He gave it back, but I thought he may have gotten it back. Didn't I they try know. to make the argument about that? That my stance is USC is not a national champion. Reggie Bush is not a Heisman Trophy winner. That's, how I, that's where I stand on it. When it's all said and done, that's where I stand. I and have a harder time taking away his Heisman, to be honest with you. I mean, if the shoe fits, I think. And so with that, I mean, that's obviously one of the biggest. This is a very helpful answer. And you just type in, does Reggie Bush have his Heisman back? Sadly, probably not. Thank you, thank you, Google. <laughs> wow. Well, what a great answer. Sadly, probably not. From the Daily Trojan. Wow. Okay. Well. Tune in tonight here on ESPN 106.7. NBA Draft coming up tonight after the drive. Tune in at 6 o'clock. You can hear uh, Wimbenyama go number one overall. Maybe find out where the other SEC guys go as well. But until tomorrow, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. Stay safe. We'll talk to you later.